Throughout history, revolutions have formed new nations, implemented social change, and altered the way we live. But revolution and rebellion do not take place on a national level only. Children rebel against their parents, teens rebel against authority, and adults rebel against the status quo. Overtly or secretly, we've all rebelled against some sort of authority in our lives, and each one of us all people created in the image of God has considered God's authority and commands and replied, No, I don't want to. Joshua had led the people with faith in God, resulting in victory over their enemies. The Israelites were in the land, but they still had to clear the land of the remaining inhabitants. Completing this work would require faith and obedience. As the book of Judges opens, we see that initially the Israelites obeyed, even though Joshua was dead. But that would not last. Sin is a powerful internal foe with severe consequences for those who fall before it. In this session, we will see that the children of Israel had conquered the Promised Land, but they had not yet conquered their own sin and rebellion against God, the one who had given them the victory. The opening chapters of the book of Judges reveal a cycle of sin that would plague God's people for generations. God had been faithful to His promises, but what would He do when His people were unfaithful in return? Our first point is that God's people rebel against God by abandoning Him. God's people rebel against God by abandoning Him. The stage is to be set for a smooth transition to another leader would continue to guiding people's, God's people on in faith to more victories, but the Israelites chose to go a different direction. Read with me, Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Tim Timnath, uh, Harry's, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation forth after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And all the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashereth. The rebellion of God's people was not an anomaly, but often the norm. At the heart of their rebellion was idolatry. They chose to worship the gods of the inhabitants of the Promised Land and turned their backs on the God who had brought them out of Egypt. Here are three reasons why humans often pursue idolatry rather than worship the one true God. 1. Idolatry is everywhere. 2. Idolatry is easy. and 3. Idolatry is explainable. Idolatry is everywhere. Not only do we have potential idols all around us, our possessions, career, leisure, technology, we are surrounded by idol worshipers as well. And they are not just found outside of the church. I mean, who among us puts God first in our lives all the time? Choosing to give family or job or sports or health or anything else first place in our lives over God plagues our culture and the church. Idolatry is easy. You know, there is no shame in acknowledging that following God is difficult. 
It requires sacrifice. It requires faith. It requires aligning our priorities according to God's will instead of our own. Idolatry, on the other hand, is much less demanding. And modern idolatry has inverted our focus from giving another glory to receiving pleasure for ourselves. We make idols of that which pleases us. And idolatry is explainable. It is easy to explain, to rationalize idolatry when it is so prevalent around us, when God's ways seem so daunting, right? I mean, everyone else is doing it. Why should I be different? And, God, and does God really expect me to follow Him the way the Scripture describes? I can't do that. And even the people in Scripture could not do it, or some of the excuses we give. Here's this week's essential doctrine. Sin is as idolatry. Sin is not only a physical act of rebellion against God, such as lying or stealing, but it is also a matter of the heart. The physical displays of sin are the fruit of what has been birthed in the heart of a person. In Scripture, idolatry usually refers to bowing down to a statue made of wood or gold, worshiping created things instead of the Creator. But idolatry can take on more subtle forms, a seeking of approval, security, power, or pleasure, we can diagnose the idolatry of our heart by examining the areas where the desires of our heart have turned into idolatrous demands. In a conscious act of the will, the Israelites chose to turn from God to idols. But there was more to it than that. The Israelites did not know God as they should have. They didn't know His character or what He had done. Their parents had failed to obey God and to pass on His works and ways to the next generation. This was disastrous for their descendants, but their children were still responsible for their own rebellion. God commanded the Israelites to teach their children about His ways in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He commanded them to establish memorials to testifying to His works in Joshua chapter 4. Their disobedience to these commands resulted in their children rebelling against God. This is the fruit of failing to disciple across generations. Today, we are still called not only to trust and follow God, but also to watch out for and encourage one another toward love and faithfulness. We are called to know God as we also make Him known to others. We are responsible for our own choices in obeying God or turning to idols, but we also are accountable for caring about the faithfulness of others, including our brothers and sisters in Christ the next generation of our own families, and the next generation of potential disciples. Think about this. What are some excuses people use to justify their idolatry and to live outside of God's will? Maybe it's, this is the way I was taught to live, or my parents were hypocrites, or the church is full of hypocrites, or I'm doing what makes me happy. You know, God wants to make me, me to be happy. I didn't know that God had a problem with this, or I'm just following my heart. Our second point is God's people are punished and given over to their enemies. God's people are punished and given over to their enemies. God is love. That means God forgives and shows mercy when we sin. But it also means He does not allow sin to continue unchecked. Even better than the best parent guiding children on the straight, narrow way, God is sure to let His children know when they are living in disobedience to Him and His Word. That's exactly what He did with the Israelites because of their rebellion and idolatry. Read with me Judges chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 
So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. And as, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. God does not ignore sin indefinitely. Though the Lord had declared that he was slow to anger, there are times when his anger against sin will lead to discipline. To be clear, discipline and love are not enemies needing to be reconciled. They are friends working in unison for God's glory and our good. It was not unloving for God to send enemies to prevail against his children. It was a corrective act of love, not a punitive act of spite. Not correcting his children and allowing them to continue on in their idolatry would have been unloving. Listen to this quote from Andrew Murray. Though God has indeed no pleasure in afflicting us, he will not keep back even the most painful chastisement if he can, but thereby guide his beloved child to come home and abide in the beloved son. The, wor ver the words of verses 14 and 15 are the antithesis of the power God had promised the Israelites. God had said he would wipe out their enemies. No one will be able to stand against you. No one, as long as the people obeyed God. That singular condition was important. Deuteronomy chapter 28 provides a lengthy description of the blessings God would give his people if they faithfully obeyed his word. But immediately following that list of blessings is a much longer list of curses should they fail to obey. The volume of warnings directed toward his people reveals how serious God takes the disobedience of his people. In the midst of all these warnings, we read, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Verse 25, God is always faithful to his word both in giving his people victory over their enemies and in giving his people enemies victory over them. Disobedience caused the Israelites to fall from no one will be able to stand against you to they could no longer withstand their enemies. We might be tempted to say of the Israelites, what were they thinking? God had identified their secret weapon himself. He had warned them of the results of their disobedience and idolatry, yet they chose other gods. We can't fathom their cluelessness until we look more closely at our own lives, at our own struggle with unbelief and hypocrisy. The Israelites knew what God had promised, but they did not believe it. Believing leads to obedience, and obedience leads in, results in blessing. Unbelief leads to disobedience, and disobedience results in God's discipline to draw the wayward child back to himself. Scripture teaches that all things are possible for the one who believes. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 23. And that without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Believing God, not merely believing in Him, but trusting in His character and believing what He says is true is the root of obedience. It's the key to victory and fellowship with Him. There are people filling the pews of churches today that would say, yes, I believe God's word is true and I know Jesus and I'm saved. But merely saying we believe something is not believing it. How we live 
proves what we, obe- what we believe. It's in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I mean, think about this. How does discipline work to correct and train God's people? Well, dip- discipline helps us to see the error of our sinful ways. So we return to abiding in Christ. God's discipline helps to shape the way we think and feel and believe so our minds can be renewed according to His will. Sometimes suffering comes just because we are followers of Christ, and we are to view this as God's discipline so we keep God's glory and mission as our first priority over the joys and pleasures of this world. Discipline teaches us to endure suffering with faith and patience. Our last point is God's people are saved through God's chosen leader. God's people are saved through God's chosen leader. Read with me, Judges chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord raised up judges, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. When we read through the book of Judges, we see Israel's repeated rebellion. If we were God, we would have walked away from them and left them in their sin and its consequences, not been moved to pity their suffering. But God is not like us. God desires for His people to enjoy a relationship with Him. Unlike us, God is ever faithful. God is not like us. His thoughts and ways are not ours. They are higher than we can understand. And while we might argue that the Israelites deserve to be abandoned because of their sins, we forget that God, by His own revelation, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. God desires for His people to enjoy a relationship with Him. And He wants them to to know Him, to love Him, and to live for Him. So He loves, pursues, and disciplines to that end. Every act of God's judgment in Judges was followed by His mercy. Every act of discipline included his guidance. God is ever faithful. The judges God raised up were flawed men and women. They were sinners in need of a savior themselves. But they were each provided by God to rescue his people in their time of need solely out of his gracious love for them. God's love is a faithful love flowing forth from an ever faithful God. This is why he would continue to lead and guide and love Israel even before they repented, drawing them toward it. And this is why he does not abandon us as well. Think about this. How do God's attributes help to explain both his punishment of sin and his mercy and grace for rebellious sinners? Well, God is holy and just. So by nature, he hates sin and must punish it. God is gracious and merciful, so He can pardon and forgive sinners. God is unchanging, so He will always be faithful to His promises to punish sin and to love and forgive His people. 
mercifully. God raised up judges to rescue his people from the hands of their enemies and to bring them back to obedience. But their rescue was always short-lived. The people would obey God while the judge who had delivered them was living, but once that judge died, the people once again did not listen and returned to their rebellion. More than laziness or lukewarm faith, the Israelites at the time of the judges pursued idolatry. And still, God showed grace and mercy just as He does with us. But we have a better judge. The Israelites' lack of listening was more than being distracted or paying half-hearted attention. The Israelites heard what the judges said. They saw the deliverance God had brought, but they did not act in accordance with what they heard and saw. The, that lack of obedience is what is in mind here. Right? In fact, they actively sought to disobey God. The Hebrew word for listen in verse 17, shema, is the same found for hear in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. More than a uh, mental activity, as we often use listen and hear, the use of this verb in the Old Testament focuses on obedience because of hearing. Think about this. What will it mean for God's people to listen to His Word? Well, God's people will expose themselves to God's Word more and more through personal Bible reading, faithful Bible teaching and preaching, and fellowship found around the Word of God. It will mean joyful obedience to God's commands. It will mean participating in the gospel mission to share Jesus with the nations to the ends of the earth. The, the grip of sin on the Israelites seemed more than they could bear. Under the influence of a strong leader or judge, there were moments of victory and obedience. The judges saved the Israelites from the consequences of their sin, but could not change the cause of their sin. This is why they repeated the cycle of sin over and over. Yet in Christ, we have a Savior and a judge who takes upon himself the consequences of our sin and offers us new hearts that seek his righteousness. Without Jesus, we would be doomed to repeat the pattern of sin and rebellion seen in the Israelites. But by grace, we have been saved from all our sin once and for all. So let us pursue obedience from gratitude knowing that when we do fail, we do when we do rebel and pursue idolatry, God is always present and faithful to direct, convict, and discipline us as an act of gracious love. In the midst of our greatest rebellion, He orchestrated our greatest deliverance. Why would He ever fail us now? Because we have been forgiven of our rebellion through Christ. We identify and resist the prevailing idolatries in our society so that our distinctiveness will back up our proclamation of the gospel. Here are some ways for you to apply God's word to your life this week. How will you respond to the sin and idolatry found in your life? What are some ways your church can hold one another accountable to listen to God's word and obey in gratitude for your salvation? Where do you see idolatry in our culture today? What can you do to address these idols and show that Jesus is better? Please pray with me. Father, we deserve to be cast out of your kingdom as rebels, and yet you have mercifully delivered us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Thank you for demonstrating your holiness and your love through the cross. 
where Jesus willingly received the just penalty for sin due to us. Help us to accept your discipline where we need it as you conform us to the image of your Son by your Spirit. Amen.